Three summers ago, summer of 2015, there was a kind of an explosion of shootings in the city of Worcester. And most of the shooters were young men, 15, 16, 17 years old. I'm not even sure you'd call them men, teenagers. They were involved with, the shooters were involved in the uh, gangs, a couple, two of the main gangs in the city. Um, they weren't about protecting turf, they weren't about uh, drug trade, they weren't about fighting for their gangs. There are young individuals in these gangs shooting one another as individuals, not even as gang members per se. It began because the, they felt disrespected, just felt disrespected by one another, so they started shooting. They began because of imagined or exaggerated slights. And these shootings started this, uh, they sparked a continuing cycle of retribution and of revenge that kept escalating throughout the summer and beyond. Young guys, hungry for respect, looking for street cred, more afraid of looking afraid than of losing their lives. They started warring with one another about slights. They mostly made up in their heads. They took little things and they made them big. Instead of just walking away from trouble, they walked to war. Now, one of that summer's shootings, slightly different circumstances, but one of that summer's shootings led to the death of a young man, David Luando. Now, David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He wasn't an intended victim. He was an innocent guy who was caught up in a feud of which he was not a part. He was killed. And this tragedy has been in the news the last couple months because the shooter's been on trial for murder. The story we're about to talk about from 1 Samuel 25 is a story kind of like that. It's a story with three main characters, David, Nabal, and Abigail. It's a story about anger and foolish pride and unrestrained ego. It's a story about two grown men acting like fools, letting their egos take them down a road of vengeance and destruction. But it's also a story about redemption, like the whole story of the Bible is. The Bible is a story about redemption. It's about God using an unlikely person, a woman, a wise woman named Abigail, to pull two fools away from the brink. So let me set the scene a little bit. This is about 1,000 thereabouts B.C. Saul is the king of Israel. He's the first king that Israel's ever had. Uh, the people of Israel say, we want a king just like all the other nations. And so God finally agrees to that. He allows that. He gives them a king, Saul. And Saul starts out pretty well, but he starts to let his kingship get to his head. He becomes proud and arrogant and stupid. 
He disobeys God again and again and again, and finally God says to him, I'm going to take the kingship away from you. God says that to Saul, but Saul remains king for a while. Now, when Saul, when God judges Saul, he, he calls Samuel, the prophet, to, to, to uh, anoint a guy named David to be king. God chooses David to be the next king. But David doesn't actually become king for over 15 years. Saul remains king during that period. And when David becomes king, he starts off as king of Judah. It's another seven and a half years before he's king over all Israel. So a lot of time passes. But during the time when Saul is still king, even though David has been anointed king, David serves Saul humbly, faithfully, courageously. Saul, on the other hand, becomes jealous of David, eventually decides he wants to kill him, and, and David is forced to go on the run. So there he is, he's forced to flee, he's on the run, he's hiding in the wilderness, he's got about 600 men who've gathered around him, he's got, he's got this little, in a sense, uh, sort of rebel band, except he's not really rebelling against Saul, he's just trying to stay out of his way. Now, during all this time, there's a guy, as I mentioned, a guy named Samuel. Samuel is the last of the judges of Israel, one of Israel's greatest prophets. Saul, uh, Samuel is the guy that God raises up to lead Israel and to guide Israel during a tumultuous period. Samuel is the guy that, that God says, go to, to Saul and anoint him to be king. Samuel's also the guy that God says, go back to Saul and tell him you're no longer king. I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. Samuel is the guy that God says, go to David. I've raised up this guy, David. Go tell him this is what I'm doing. Anoint him to be king. Samuel becomes David's mentor, advocate, protector, counselor, friend. Through all of his time, when, when David needs advice, he goes to Samuel. When he's on a run, he needs a protector, he runs to Samuel for protection. And Samuel protects him, even against the wrath of King Saul. You could say that Samuel was more than a father to David. It's where David went when he needed wisdom, encouragement, strength when he needed advice, when he needed hope and comfort, David went to Saul. Now, let me turn. So that's the setting. Remember this as we move into 1 Samuel 25, okay? It's on page 209 in your uh, pew Bibles. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. A certain man in Maon who had property there, Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. 
While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. He, so he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you. Good health to you and your household and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's main name, then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When he arrived, reported every word. David said to his men, Each of you, strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us. The whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disasters hang over our master and his whole household. He's such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sayas of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisin, two hundred cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless. All my washing over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal, deal with David, be it ever so severely. If by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David... She quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face pressed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. 
Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming him, harming my Lord, be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from a pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the household, in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him and he became like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to, be, oh, to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, I am your servant and I'm ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five female servants, went with David's messengers and became his wife. David had also married Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they both were his wives. 
But Saul had given his daughter Michael, David's wife, to Palthiel, son of Laish, who was from Galim. David and his men are hiding out in the wilderness, and near where they're hiding, there's a guy named Nabal, wealthy guy who's grazing his flock. Now, the name Nabal it means fool. We don't know if that was his actual name. I mean, think about it. Who would name their child Fool? Uh, have you met my son, Fool? You know, it's likely that he had a name that sounded like the name Nabal, sounded like Fool, and he acted like a fool, so they kind of called him Fool. Okay? What we're told about him is that he was wealthy, he was surly, he was mean in his dealings, he was greedy, he was hard-hearted. All of that comes up. Nabal had a wife named Abigail. Her name means my father is joyous. And as you get to know her a bit, you can understand why a father might be joyous with a daughter like Abigail. She's described as intelligent and beautiful, and we find out that she's wise, she's humble, she's courageous, she's godly. While in hiding from David, uh, from, Nabal, uh, from uh, Saul, rather, David and his men protect Nabal's flocks. And they protect his men from all harm. Not one sheep is lost. Because of David's protection, Nabal gets even more rich. Now David hears it's sheep shearing time. Now what does that mean? Think about Thanksgiving and Christmas. What happens for us at Thanksgiving and Christmas? There are times of celebration. We gather together, we celebrate the goodness in our lives. We celebrate the goodness of God to us. We, we celebrate, and we also, during that time, tend to be a whole lot more aware of others' needs. We become more attentive to other people, we become a lot more generous. That's the time when a lot of people give to other people. That's really what happened during sheep shearing time uh, in the time of David and Nabal. It was a time when people celebrated the goodness of all these flocks, and it was a time when they looked out for one another in, in especially generous ways. That's what, that's what happened. So David says, okay, it's sheep shearing time. He sends 10 of his men to Nabal to share some, to ask if, they, if Nabal would share some of his bounty with them. They asked Nabal for food, essentially because they're out in the wilderness, they can't plant, they can't do other stuff, because they're always moving around. After all, they'd earned something, hadn't they? They'd protected Nabal's flocks. That had saved him dozens and dozens and dozens of sheep and probably a few men as well. Now, David and his men could have taken whatever they wanted. They could have gone to where Nabal's men were and their flocks said, we need this, 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 and this, get out of my way, and just taking it. But they didn't. David was an honorable man. He didn't take what wasn't his. Instead, he asks. And David's request was a customary, culturally appropriate, ethical, right, fair thing to do. They go, they ask politely, they ask in a patient, humble way, and then they, they just wait. The proper response to this for Nabal would have been to have greeted them warmly, to 
to thank, him for their, to thank them for their service to him and to respond generously to their request. It'd be like our custom of tipping. You know, we tip people when they serve us, and if they tip us really well, we serve them generously, right? David's men have served Nabal really, really well. It's customary to respond generously. But Nabal doesn't do what's expected. He does the complete opposite. He violates the laws of hospitality. He goes out of his way to insult David and his men. In essence, he calls David a no good nobody. From the wrong side of the, from a wrong side of the tracks family, a runaway rebel who doesn't know his place. He calls David a bum and a beggar who's just looking for a handout. Now, remember the context. David has 600 battle-hardened men. Remember that David could have raided Nabal's flocks and taken everything, and Nabal had no way to stop him. Remember the way that David approached Nabal, humbly, patiently. There was no rational or ethical reason for Nabal to act the way he did. He insulted someone who had not only treated him kindly, but who also had the power to kill him and take everything and everyone in his household. Nabal is the very definition of a fool. David's men leave Nabal, they go back to David and tell him what happened. And David's immediate response is, strap on your sword, let's go. He's so furious, he can't even utter Nabal's name. This fellow, he has paid me back evil for good. I'm going to pay him back evil for evil now. It's a foolish fury. David is angry. He's extraordinarily angry. He's angry way beyond proportion. And he's in danger of doing something very wrong, something very evil. Think about it. Who insulted David? Nabal insulted David. Only Nabal. But David is planning to kill Everyone, people who have done him no wrong whatsoever. He's about to kill people for what Nabal has done. Now, in the Bible, wisdom is always ethical. It promotes the common good. So what David is doing, the Bible calls foolishness. It's not, wisdom isn't just about being wise, about being strategic or rational or showing foresight, insight. It's about being and doing good. It's about aligning yourself with God's character and purpose. It's about extending his love, grace, mercy, and justice to others. Wisdom is making decisions and engaging in actions to promote the common good. Isaiah 32, 6 for fools speak 
folly. Their hearts are bent on evil. The hungry, they leave empty. And from the thirsty, they withhold water. They make up evil schemes to destroy the poor with lies. Even when the plea of the needy is just. Proverbs 29, 11. Fools give full vent to their rage. But the wise bring calm in the end. David is in danger of being the fool. And if he gives vent to his rage, he's going to become like Saul. Saul did stuff like that. He lost the kingdom. David is on the edge of becoming like Saul, like Nabal, a fool. Meanwhile, back at Nabal's ranch, a servant goes to Abigail, tells her what happened with David's messengers and Nabal. Now, why does he go to Abigail? It's because Nabal is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. No one can talk to him. This is a sign of a very foolish person. Just like today, you don't have to be wise to be wealthy. Nabal is wealthy, but he's not wise. He's a fool. No one can talk to him. Abigail thinks and acts quickly. She gathers a bunch of food, loads it on donkeys, and goes to meet David. She doesn't tell Nabal what he's doing. Why? Because he doesn't let anyone talk to him. He's a fool. Even when lives are on the line. So she just goes. Now think about what she's doing, though. She heads out an unarmed woman to meet 400 armed, insulted, angry, bloodthirsty men. Now what will David do? Will he listen or just kill her on the spot? She has no way of knowing, but she goes. She commits herself, puts her life in a line to save others. Wisdom seeks the common good. She finds David, quickly gets off the donkey, bows down before him with her face to the ground. Before David has an opportunity to react, she humbles herself and begins to appease him. Pay no attention, my lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. She's saying, David, you're right about Nabal. He's wicked and stupid and wrong. I agree with you. But he's not worth your attention, not worth getting riled over. Abigail here is not being contemptuous of her husband. She's trying to save his life. Then Abigail takes the blame. Pardon your servant, my Lord. I did not see the men. My Lord said, it's my fault, Lord. Please forgive me. Now, was it her fault? No. But she's willing to take the blame, take the fall for the sake of others. She reminds David that David belongs to the Lord. She says that the Lord has kept him from bloodshed, from avenging himself with his own hands. What? David had convinced himself that he was going after justice. But Abigail makes him face the fact that what he was really doing was going after blood. Now, even generally good people 
can rationalize the doing of great evil. David, a generally good man, has been rationalizing doing great evil. She says, please do me the honor of taking this gift. Think about that. Honor, not charity. Gift, not handout. Completely opposite reaction to Nepal's. Give it to your men, she says, your hungry men. How do you think they reacted to that? She then gently rebukes David. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. The Lord has promised you will be king, in other words. Trust those promises. Don't try to get them for yourself. You are called to fight the Lord's battles, she says. Do the Lord's will, not your own. God wants you to be a just king, David. Be just. This, what you're planning to do, it's not right. You do not want on your conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed. David, the Lord has chosen you to be his king, not your own. Act like God's chosen king. This is your honor, not bloodshed. What will David do? Will he listen to David or will he, like Nabal, be someone no one can talk to? Will he remain a fool? David starts out a fool, but he doesn't stay a fool. He listens to the voice of God through an unlikely source, a woman. And not just any woman, but the woman who is the wife of his enemy. He recognizes the Lord's voice, the Lord's wisdom, and the voice of Abigail, and he receives it. So here are some takeaways from this story. Wise people recognize that it works in progress. All of us are vulnerable to uh, foolishness. Wise people do not assume they are beyond acting foolishly or immaturely. They take the time to listen. Wise people know that vindication is the Lord's. It only belongs to the Lord. We don't seek justice for ourselves in a way that dishonors God. Wise people act in humility and submission to God. Wise people do not treat people transactionally. What do I mean by that? David does Nabal a good turn. He expects that Nabal will act to send me back to him. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. When Nabal doesn't do that, David decides, I'm just going to get even. I'm going to treat him the way he treated me. We're all tempted to treat people that way. But what's the golden rule? It's not uh, treat others the way they treat you. It's Treat others the way you would want to be treated. And Jesus adds, treat others the way you'd want to be treated even when they don't treat you that way back. Love your enemies. 
Trust that God is going to make things right in the end. Wise people ask, am I acting wisely or foolishly? Am I willing to listen to other people? Do I allow people to speak truth into my life? Am I ruled by my identity and calling in Christ or by my own pride and ego? Am I leaning on the grace of God, trusting in his promises, or am I trying to to work things out for myself regardless of what it takes or what it costs other people? Am I taking my humanity seriously? Am I recognizing I am finite and need to practice a measure of self-care? David loses his, his mentor, his friend, Samuel. He starts the chapter. The book ends with the end where we're told that he lost his wife, Michael, to whom he loved. Saul took her away from him. So David is suffering great losses. And when you're suffering great losses and you're tired and you're hungry and you're exhausted and you're grieving, you can do a lot of stupid things. Know where you are and take where you are seriously. You are human. We are human. Now, it's also another takeaway. God always provides. He's always faithful to his people when they need him. So God, at the end, gives Abigail to David. And Abigail, for David, serves kind of as a mentor, not as a counselor like Samuel was. She's a wise person. And she serves as a loving wife. Not the same as Michael, but a loving wife. So God gives David what he needs. We wait patiently for, for the Lord, but he gives us what we need when we really need it. Now, let me wrap this up. Nabal makes an enemy of someone who comes to him as a friend. He's a fool. David, in his mind, makes innocent people guilty, guilty simply by association. He vows to kill innocent people, people who've done him no wrong, because he's angry and his honor has been hurt. He's a fool. He risks his reputation for the sake of revenge. Abigail puts herself in the middle of two fools to try to bring peace between them. She puts herself at risk to save innocent lives, to save David's future kingdom. She wants him to be who God calls him to be. She's the wise one. She acts in ways that honor God and promote the common good. One fool, David, listens and repents. He chooses a path of wisdom and mercy over foolish pride and revenge. David, Nabal, lives and dies a fool. Our flights of unrestrained ego and pride may not, may not end in death or murder, but all of them are destructive. How many marriages and families have been destroyed because we were too proud to listen? We're too proud to say we were wrong, to say we're sorry, to ask for forgiveness. Too proud to back off and change. How many churches have been split because some people were convinced they were right about something. They dug in their heels and wouldn't listen to anybody else. They insisted on their way. How often did this lead to exaggerated slights and grudges and gossip and slander 
All people do and say foolish things at times. But some people are habitual. Some people are habitual fools. Wise people listen when others tell them they're being fools. They pay attention. They listen and repent and save lives and marriages and churches and even nations stay strong. May God protect us from ourselves and help us to hear the voice of wisdom from wherever and whenever it comes. And whoever. Now there's one thing I didn't say at the beginning. That summer of 2015 when there were a rash of shootings, there were a small group of people from a number of churches, including some of us here from The Journey, who started meeting together. We'd meet together every Sunday afternoon from June all the way to December. We'd meet together every Sunday afternoon to pray. We would go to the neighborhoods where shootings were taking place, and we would walk those neighborhoods, and we'd pray kind of street by street, house by house, people by people as we passed by them. Sometimes we would talk and engage them. But we, came, we went to pray. Now, this year, just a couple of weeks ago, statistic came out that so far in 2018, there's not been a single homicide by firearm in the city of Worcester, not even one. What happened during that summer of 2015 and following is that the shooting started to, to decrease year by year. There's a lot of reasons you could get for that, a lot of things that happened. Uh, but it's maybe possible that one of the reasons, one of the underlying reasons is the people of God gathered together and they went out into the, into the streets and they kind of stepped in between people bent on violence and they prayed for peace. Don't know for sure. But it's what the people of God are called to do, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you, Lord, that you are a great and good God who keeps his promises, a God who brings peace and extends mercy and grace. We ask, Lord, that you would bring your comfort and peace to the people in Santa Fe, Texas, who are grieving right now the shooting that took place in your school. We ask you to give peace and comfort to the family and friends of David Luando and the others here in this city and beyond who are victims or in some way of violence and of foolish pride. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us, your people, to be wise, wise in our dealings and seeking the common good. Help us, like you, Lord Jesus, to be peacemakers. Lord, we are grateful for who you are, grateful that we belong to you. And we ask, Lord, that you would make us like you in all your ways. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.